On February 12, 2002, then-Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld gave a news briefing regarding the lack of evidence connecting Iraq's government with terrorist groups. Rumsfeld noted, Reports that say something hasn't happened are always interesting to me because, as we know, there are no knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. And if one looks throughout the history of our country and other free countries, it is the latter category that tends to be the difficult ones. I'm seeing some of you shaking your head already, going, what? This became fodder for late-night television jokes, but he was on to something. Indeed, one wishes that perhaps in, at that time, before going on certain foreign policy ventures, we might have considered the unknown unknowns a little more closely. But he was, he was on to something. I digress. Any organization, church, or person can get caught up by unknown unknowns, things we don't know we don't know especially if they think they know those unknowns, if they think they know more than they know. You with me so far? Okay, you don't know. Okay. Hang on. I'll, 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 I'll get you back on track. Okay. Or worse, if there are certain unpleasant truths that are known, say you know something but you don't want to know it, those can be unknown knowns, things we know but don't want to know that we know. Since today is Reformation Sunday, a few examples might be helpful. Perhaps the Roman church did not understand the level of resentment north of the Alps in the 1500s about sending money south to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica. Or perhaps they didn't want to know Luther, a backwater monk, certainly was an unknown unknown to the church hierarchy. They didn't know how to deal with him, how to address him. And they badly misjudged how, how to, to address him and his concerns. Willful ignorance or delusional overconfidence can cause so much harm, especially when we think we know something that we don't know. Enter King Solomon. He's inherited a mess. Indeed, the sword did plague David's house after his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, which we heard last week. His sons Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah by this point are all dead. They've all been killed. And two of them led open rebellions against David. In a bitter irony, Absalom's name means, My father is peace. On top of this, in a scene reminiscent of the Godfather, a dying David asked Solomon to settle old scores. Solomon's reign begins soaked in blood. Somewhat ironic for a king whose name comes from the word shalom. So perhaps at this point, Solomon knows that he can't kill his way to peace. So far, he's governed according to his father's wishes. But if he's going to be a good leader, he'll need resources to govern well as his own person, to make his own decisions. He'll need the gift of discernment for the sake of the people that he serves. 
When Solomon asks for this, when he asks for a discerning heart, he bucks the usual tendency for inexperienced rulers, as well as his own strange beginning on the throne. History has plenty of butchers as rulers, people who use their office merely to serve themselves or to get revenge on others. God actually seems surprised, pleasantly surprised, by Solomon's request. Solomon doesn't ask for wealth, revenge, or a long life like other rulers might. He doesn't ask for endless victory or for unsurpassed power. Solomon asks for a wise heart. He knows that he doesn't know everything. Back in 1 Samuel 16, David was chosen. God chose David to be king. David was the forgotten eighth son, the little shepherd boy out in the fields because he was too unimportant. God chose David because he had a humble, teachable heart. Of course, as we heard last week, that heart was also capable of great evil. But David still had that humble, teachable heart. People aren't all one way or the other. We're all sinners and saints after all. God looks for humble, teachable hearts to serve God and God's people. God looks for the heart. Indeed, we see this humble heart at work in the next story, which is a quite memorable one. It's one that sticks in mind a lot better. Many of the other chapters of Kings are about Solomon's administrative accomplishments, but those are more about how how much silver went here and how much grain went here and how much wood came down from King Hiram. It's not exactly exciting reading, but this story will stick in your brain. Two sex workers living in the same house come to Solomon with their case. Now, leave aside the obvious objection. Why would two women of such low social status be granted access to the king? Well, that's part of the point. Solomon is not too good for the people he serves. Even prostitutes have recourse to genuine justice with Solomon. We'll see something similar with Jesus a millennium later as prostitutes and tax collectors will be able to eat with and learn from Jesus. Indeed, Jesus will tell the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, those who should know better, the prostitutes and tax collectors are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. No one's social status automatically excludes them from God's kingdom. God needs humble hearts to serve. We may do well to remember that this Reformation Sunday. No one is too low for Jesus. And Jesus needs people who know their unknowns. Who know there are things they don't know about the church, about society, about themselves. And who know that they need to pray for help constantly. Have their eyes open to the work of redemption happening all around them. Genuine Reformation. Genuine transformation happens in people whose hearts are humble enough and open enough to receive the word of God. Not in those who think they already know everything. It comes to those who accept God's gifts of humility and openness and the greater gift of the word. Last Thursday, I was honored to attend the Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge Gala at Arrowwood. 
And though the dinner and presentation were a bit longer than I expected, it was about three and a half hours when all was said and done, I understood why at the end of it, why it, why it took so long. Because you cannot cram all those stories of reformation, transformation of new life happening in just an hour. It was impossible to hear about modern day miracles happening in the lives of people we might otherwise overlook in a shorter time frame. We had to spend that time. Those people struggling with addiction, people struggling with addiction, live dangerously close to Jesus. That isn't romanticizing addiction, it's stating a simple fact. They know the cross, sin, suffering, brokenness, better than many of us do, certainly better than I do. Those of you who have had a loved one who suffered from addiction know this too. And many have also experienced resurrection on this side of heaven. Like the women in our Bible story, they know what rock bottom feels like. And also like the women, they have the experience of being told, you are loved. You matter. Your concerns matter. You are a child of God. Jesus is raising people up every day, just as he was raised up. And resurrection is not just for the end of time, when we and all the dead will be raised to serve our Lord in innocence and blessedness forever, as the Catechism says. That certainly is the big resurrection, but little ones are happening all the time around us. Jesus uses people like you and me to continue that work of resurrection. So God, open our hearts. God, keep us from thinking we know what we don't. God, open our ears to hear from others' experiences. And God, open our eyes to see the risen Christ all around us. We may be very surprised to find where God's work is being done. Let's pray. Lord God, your Son, Jesus Christ, came as a servant of the poor and rejected. Open our eyes, ears, and hearts to see his reforming, resurrecting work all around us. And keep our hearts humble, knowing that there are things we do not know, so that we may be worthy servants of your people. In his name we pray. Amen.